evening, everybody. Welcome to The Agronomists. I am your host, Lindsay Smith. And just so everyone knows, I can see the comments rolling in before we go live. And now I feel like maybe I shouldn't have told you that because, goodness, gotta, that is a great thread already started. So welcome. Hello, everyone. Wonderful to see you all here uh, from T-shirt weather in southern Alberta to rather chilly Manitoba. And of course, uh, Ontario, we'll, we'll get a snapshot of what's happening across the province, but uh, here in the East, it has poured for days. Um, and I keep bugging Warren Schneckenberger, who's here to come on the show next week. And he keeps telling me he has to finish beans first. And after this week's rain, I don't know if that's going to happen. So if everybody could put uh, some peer pressure on him. That'd be great. Okay, before we get to tonight's topic, I do, of course, want to remind everybody, if you collect those CEU credits, head on over to realagriculture.com slash agronomist. Tomorrow, let us know you took in the program, and we'll make sure to get you signed up for those. And uh, we, of course, have our show sponsors that make this all happen. And tonight is a very special edition. This is one of two editions of The Agronomist that feature the Ontario Diagnostic Days. Um, and so we also, though, of course, have our regular show sponsors. That's Decisive Farming and Adama Canada. Where is my read? I have a new one, which is super exciting. So thank you, of course, to Adama. By listening to you and remaining unapologetically crop protection, we leverage the world's largest library of actives to provide innovative solutions to your greatest challenges. Tell your Adama sales rep what you're looking for today. Okay, so, uh, oh, Francois Tardif says there was hail in Guelph today. That doesn't sound like fun. Um, okay. Kara says it was so warm, or it's so warm today in southern Alberta, that her windows were streaking as she was trying to clean them because it was too warm. Pro tip, don't wash them. They don't streak. Okay, let's bring in tonight's guests. We have Drs. Dave Hooker and Mario Tenuta. Of course, Dr. Hooker from University of Guelph, Ridgetown campus, and Dr. Mario Tenuta from the University of Manitoba. Also, and you'll forgive me, Mario, uh, your brother Albert reminded everyone you're the little brother. <laughs> yes. So, oh, you're muted, Mario. <laughs> you're muted. And Jay can't unmute him. There we go. Hang on. Down at the bottom. Hit the unmute button. We'll get you there. Try it again. It was working before. Jay, can you tell what happened? Hmm. Mary, you might have to go and come back. I'm not sure what happened there. But we'll start with Dr. Dave while we try and f figure that out. Dr. Dave, how are things yes. where you are in Ridgetown? <laughs> hey, hey, um, I'm just fine. And um, things are just happening in Ontario in terms of harvest. And I think everybody seems to be in a good mood. Um, I have not run okay. into one person who is in a in a bad mood or a sour mood and and that's kind of unusual for harvest because you know usually it's you know, we run into some wet conditions and we haven't had that many wet conditions around there's some wet areas in the province but uh, overall it's been a fantastic harvest season um epic mm -hmm. in, uh, yeah. in ontario so we'll take those for sure we will absolutely take those um okay mario is do you have sound hey. Yes! Yay! Yay! Okay, welcome here, Mario. How are you? I've been pretty good. I have had COVID for a little while there, so I, I feel really good now. I'm bouncing back, so fantastic. Mm, nasty thing. All right. Okay, so to set the scene for tonight, we are going to talk about building yield from the roots up. We are going to talk about too wet, too dry, nutrient availability, all those things. But before we dig into that, um, Mario, give us a snapshot of the, the main things you study or teach or research, uh, just so that all of those in the comments who don't know you get a snapshot of the things that they can ask you, because this is a very important part of the show. Yeah, well, I, I know more than half the people on the comments, so they're, I think a lot of people Good. already um, know me. They, they may not want to know me, but they know me. Uh, <laughs> So, you know, what we do here is we really are looking at sustainable systems, sustainable soil systems. We try to uh, do practical solutions. We, we don't try to um, show problems, but rather we try to provide solutions 
and uh, to applied problems in agriculture. Uh, obviously, we're particularly focused on the West. However, you know, I have I grew up in Southern Ontario. Uh, most of my education was in Southern Ontario. Still have great roots in Ontario and great friends and family and so forth. So, um, so and uh, our work really takes us across the whole country to the Maritimes with potatoes, um, Ontario, and all through Western Canada. So it's really, I think it's about sustainable systems. And um, we really are focusing on uh, nitrogen, and particularly with the big topic right now, and that's really the focus of my senior industrial research chair, that is uh, trying to make better use of nitrogen, reducing greenhouse gases, uh, N2O, uh, and really trying to make sure that we're not handcuffing ourselves and restraining our growth uh, and our export markets and satisfying our local market. So that's what we're about is to keep making sure that we're profitable, we're treating soil better and the environment is better. So there's a, a bunch of lofty goals there. I know that, but you gotta aim high. Gotta and aim, That's right, aim high. That's right. We gotta, yeah. We'll see where we go. <laughs> exactly. You go really, really high, and if you get somewhere, that's still better. That's okay. <laughs> All right. Now, of course, Dave, you're busy. Uh, of course, I would, I would imagine you're very busy with the classes right now. But of course, you run all mm -hmm. sorts um, of trials through the summer. What was uh, some of the most interesting uh, trials you worked on this summer? Well, that is really a tough question because um, I've got over 30 experiments um, that we do every year. And uh, some of them are, uh, I guess I do have some favorites and, and some of them are the uh, long-term rotation trials that, that I manage. But also the ones that usually, um, some, most of my favorite ones are the ones that involve wheat because I am very passionate about wheat and growing wheat. And uh, Peter Johnson has not paid me to say this. No. And so we kind of feed each off, off of each other, which could be dangerous. But uh, just wheat management, um, uh, just increasing the uh, profitability of the wheat enterprise, I think is very important to, uh, to uh, I guess, the adoption or keeping the rate of uh, adoption of wheat in the crop rotation. And we know the benefits of wheat in crop rotation. And uh, we just kind of keep telling that story. So now, Peter Reed P. Johnson is in the comments tonight. I also spoke with him today for the radio show. And there is a rumor, Dr. Dave, about perhaps record wheat acres in Ontario, partially yes. because of that profitability equation. So do you agree? Do you think we're set for a record? Exactly. I, I think so. I, I haven't talked to Peter about this at all. But this is this is my thinking as well, that I think okay. because of the great weather that we've had, uh, in the province, um, uh, that really lends itself to um, uh, to wheat planting, and I think one of the, I guess, the turnoffs of wheat is uh, delayed planting and the loss of that yield potential. But really, we have not experienced much of it. Uh, now, there are some areas in the province, of course, that that are different, but the majority of the province, of course, has seen um, a pretty good fall for wheat planting, and that's key, I think, for acreage. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I'm slightly less like jazzed about the number, but as you'll notice, Warren, who's out from my way, um, is says he's finally seeing the slightest tinges. We haven't had maybe the greatest of weather uh, for it, but still not bad, and it is going in. So there you go. Okay, we'll leave it at that. Let's dig into, get it? Pardon the pun? No, I'm not pardoning anything. Uh, let's dig in <laughs> below ground. Okay, so we do have a clip um, from this year's Diagnostic Days, but and we'll go to that in a moment. Uh, but now, Mario, you sort of subbed in for Dave uh, at the day, sort of last minute. Uh, so Dave, I'll ask you sort of just to set up what was the trial, and then we'll run the clip and, and Mario will sort of go through what we saw, and then we can talk about that after. But uh, yeah, what just set us up here. Yeah, well, the trial was, um, I guess, the idea. We come up with these ideas to show at diagnostic days, um, just something visual, something hands-on. And it's usually a, a question or a scenario that is quite frequently or quite frequent, um, uh, frequently observed uh, across the province or even across Canada. And that is uh, water logging. Water logging effects on crop growth because we run into this situation almost every year, at least some parts of the province where growers are very concerned about the impact of excessive rainfall 
on uh, crop growth. And um, that could lead to, of course, crop yield losses. But my favorite part of that is how can we manage that? How can we build resilience in our cropping systems to withstand some of these extreme weather events? And so there's all kinds of talking points that we could we could go over. But there's also also incredible visuals as well, because we know what crops look like, you know, as they get you know, too much water, um, they start to turn yellow and and uh, start to go backwards. And um, so we can discuss more of that. But I mean, we so we uh, set these experiments up in corn and soybeans. And so we flooded these small, very small areas in corn and soybeans. And, um, and fairly like late around flowering time for soybeans and uh, around VT or so for corn. And so we want, wanted to see some of the effects of flooding just as, uh, just for talking talking points. And to, to that end, I'm just okay, very I'm just, indebted. Yeah, I'm very indebted to Mario. So sorry for talking so much. <laughs> but I'm <laughs> very <laughs> indebted for Mario for stepping in. Well, sure. What are you going to do about it? Like become out of debt somehow. Oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> maybe. Maybe do a couple experiments for you, write a paper. A <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> We're brokering deals here. Okay. All right. Okay. Let's, uh, producer Jay, let's go to a clip so we can see some of those visuals that uh, Dave is talking about. And then we'll come back uh, and talk a little bit about what we see and hear. All right. So this is from this year's Diagnostic Day uh, with Dr. Mario Tenuta. Mario Tenuta here, Ontario Crop Diagnostics Day, talking about waterlogging in corn and soybeans. Starting off with soybean here. Here we have a demo by my colleague Dave Hooker where we have two rows post-germination being waterlogged, water been added continuously and to the flanks here soybean without waterlogging. And what can we see here? You can see yellowing, slight yellowing to the leaves. Some got some chlorosis happening. We're having a little less Taller plants, shorter plants happening here, maybe even by a node in terms of shorter, and not as bushy as well. So what's going on here? Water logging, soybean. Well, soybean's supposed to fix its own nitrogen, isn't it? Well, why isn't it? Well, it's about the roots. The plant and the roots need to feed the bacteria to do the nodulation to produce the nitrogen and the plants here are stressed. They're really, um, they're seeking out, they need as much oxygen as possible. Feeding the bacteria to produce the nitrogen is just something that will just add to more stress at the moment for them. So they're not doing it as much. And hence, the plants are starved for nitrogen. There's another reason as well. Soybean also picks up soil nitrogen. It just doesn't only rely what they fix on their own. So the water logging is also causing an issue with loss of nitrogen generally in the soil. So the plant is not only gonna have less nitrogen from the fixation, but also less nitrogen that's available in the soil, soil that soybean would pick up as well. And we can see that difference in the root system here where we have the non-waterlogged plants Nice extensive root system. We can see that root development nicely. We can see a lot of nice nodules, very large nodules on the lateral roots and extending just not just on the tap root. Whereas in that waterlogged situation, the nodules are more around that tap root and you can look at the root system there. It's just not as plentiful. It's just not able to extend. It's staying at the soil surface where there's more oxygen, but not going lower down. Again, not scavenging for nitrogen not scavenging for phosphorus and other nutrients as well. All right, there's more than a few things to unpack there. Before, of course, we do that, I do want to send a shout out to our show sponsors tonight. As mentioned, Adama Canada and the Ontario Diagnostic Days and uh, Decisive Farming by TELUS Agriculture. Your soil has a unique story at Decisive Farming by TELUS Agriculture. We get that. See the bigger picture by digging into your field's performance today. Remember, ROI is only a portion of the equation. Visit DecisiveFarming.com. Okay, 
Mario, I'm going to start with you, even though it's Dave's plot. Mario got to host, so Mario gets to go first. <laughs> so we did We did talk a bit in that snippet. We do talk a bit about, uh, you know, why waterlogging causes such an issue. Um, so, but walk us through sort of the 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 real nitty-gritty of of what's happening there at that root level on why waterlogging can be so detrimental okay well first the point of clarification and so um in the field uh i was talking with dave's technician and initially i thought the waterlogging was a longer duration than it actually was so it was uh correct me dave that was about two weeks or so um before the event so, so this is really critical, Lindsay. The the visualization and and it looked the, the the differences looked better in the field and on the video, at least on my little screen here. Um, that was only about two weeks of of water logging mid season yeah. to have that impact. So that really tells you the the tremendous impact and um, significance of what water excessive water can do to the growing plant. So what was going on there? Well, primarily talking about oxygen, because roots are thriving and living, they need the oxygen to be able to, to grow. And by growing, they are going to be able to do feeding. They're gonna be able to explore the soil, get nutrients, uh, nitrogen, but also phosphorus and micronutrients and so forth like that. And then there's the other issue with um the nodules and the nitrogen in general so there's um so the the nodules that had already established when uh, there wasn't the water logging they were there but any newer nodules outside from that immediate seed area and and the roots from that area and around the taproot uh there's few, there were fewer nodules there and then there was also fewer uh, fine roots as well. Hmm. So, and that's one, in, that's something else that roots will do is that they'll start to prune themselves and get rid of roots, but they have to feed those roots, right? And if, um, so if they can't feed them with uh, oxygen, they're going to get rid of them. So we were, we were seeing that. And the manifestation was the, the yellowing uh, mm-hmm. and uh the lack of recent growth so you saw there you could still see the rows there so we didn't quite have closure yet canopy closure but they were getting fuller and towards canopy closure in the non-water log and you can uh really see the you could see the 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 delay there uh and there was we lost uh, uh, a few inches of growth uh about a node and so, and so that's pretty amazing because that was just, uh, you know, acute recent um, stress on those soy. Mm-hmm. So now, and and Pete is sort of alluding to one of the places I want to go with this. But Dave, when you set up that trial, um, how do you sort of make the call on how long to waterlog, at what stage? How do you make that decision? Do you try and mimic, you know, what we typically see in an average year, or are you trying to see just the impact? How how do you make that call? Yeah, for sure. Um, exactly, we would try to mimic what we'd see in a in a year where maybe we'd have a you know a week uh, long, maybe a couple of rain, heavy rain events, thunderstorms, and we have we saw this see this just about every year, uh, somewhere in Ontario at least, anyway where we have maybe a week or 10 days where the soil is just saturated with water. And so two weeks, like I kind of consider two weeks is kind of a, a long time uh, for water logging to occur. And it expressed, um, I think what Mario was getting at too, it was just expressed visual symptoms very quickly, just with only two weeks of, uh, of water logging. So it was quite a severe event with two weeks underwater, basically, or with at least saturated soils, and it expressed itself um, in a very short period of time uh, in soybeans at the at the R stages, at the beginning of the R stages. And, and that's really critical. Uh, the stage of the crop mm-hmm. plant is really critical depending on when this water logging took place and also the soil temperature as well. 
Mm-hmm. So, and, and Mario, so Peter's question sort of gets into one of the questions I have for you, which is about the time of year. So excessive water um, can, of course, happen several different times in the year. We Perhaps we can, you know, guess when it might be, but of course we can't ever entirely plan for that. So does the size of the plant or the time of year, how, what does that interaction look like? It's not simple. Um, let's put it this way. Uh, if water logging will impact plants most severely under warm temperature conditions. Why? Those roots are more active. They need more oxygen. And also the other soil organisms need oxygen as well. So you quickly become go into anaerobic conditions. Now, early on when, this, when it's cooler, like soon after uh, emergence, um, it's, uh, it's generally cooler. So the, that drawdown of oxygen in the system takes a lot longer to occur under the cool, cool conditions, okay? But what's not so simple is you can start having pathogen effects, for example, right? And you can bring my brother on here to talk about it. But when you have that early season water logging, now you start having a, a plant system that is not really uh, suited well to defend itself, especially its root system. It's a very young root system, and it's easily prone to um, various root rots. And so, um, um, so, yes, they're more tolerant of it. However, there is this issue with um, with uh, with diseases. So, you know, your 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 uh, um, seed treatments are going to be extremely important. And, and that's kind of situation as well. So, yeah. Dave, did you want to add something with that? Yeah, sure. Um, and soy, soybeans is very much different than corn and wheat's a little bit different as well. But for soybeans, the most critical time for water logging is in the R stages. And that also is a time where the soil temperatures are usually warm as well. But the R stages are most critical, you know, for the uh, functioning of um, like uh, for nitrogen, um, nitrogen uh, synthesis um, through the nodules, as, uh, as Mario mentioned in that video and also here. And so the our yields can be reduced up to 40% in soybeans um, with an eight day water logging event during the R stages. So between R1 and, and R6 or so, that's what the research says. In corn is different. So when the growing point is below the soil surface, so at V6 and earlier, that is when corn is the most corn is most sensitive uh, during that time with um, with from water logging events. Um, I just want to note that Big Brother Albert has joined the chat, and Ray Debenko took the words right out of my mouth when he just said, "Lindsay, just me note to have Albert and Mario fight." Um, so we will take that offline, but absolutely, Ray. Brothers Tanuta cage match. Isn't there another brother, Mario? Shouldn't we have? Aren't there three of you? It's a sister. Oh, it's a sister. I always thought there was another brother. Yeah, she could, See? She there you go. I was going to say, now I know Now I know who's going to win. It's the sister, 100%. Okay, my condolences to your sister. Um, okay. That is amazing. All right. Welcome here, Albert. Your turn is on Halloween. Okay. All right. All right. So, so um, not in public. Wonderful. There are, so we've covered a lot of those key points for sure. But one, one thing I do want to talk about, and we're going to talk about this on the corn side and in general, um, but I do want to touch on very quickly, because you are in Manitoba, Mario, uh, can we briefly touch on canola and water logging? How does it compare better or worse to soybean? And do the same rules sort of apply? Is are the reproductive stages worse, or is it a wimp in the spring? What about with canola? Oh, oh, uh, good question. Um, let's see. Now, of course, canola is very—it's um, forgiving uh, towards uh, the growing season in terms of uh, stand emergence would um, be uh, affected with. Uh, water logging however it's such a really plastic plant that it can fill in it's a pretty remarkable plant actually so it's a little bit forgiving if you can get over that water logging it'll it'll fill in itself so it's pretty remarkable from that standpoint 
there are other issues though with with disease in particularly in terms especially the ones that re mm -hmm. result in um, waters splashing up onto the flowers and so forth so we can have um, big issues with with uh, diseases of canola from from the water so that's a big issue and then with the, the spore spore movement movement um, from um, the uh, apothecia in in the soil in the, in the springtime so there, there's a there's 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 that action going on um, canola is a taproot um, and um, I actually never yeah, thought I, about it that way Mario. Is that funny? I never about the taproot. I never really envisioned canola as having a taproot, but it does. It does. Obviously. It does. It's not a fibrous it, root system. Yeah. It's not a fibrous root system. So it's not gonna yeah. have a whole bunch of fine roots to 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 shed in general like that. Mm -hmm. Um and it's very, very plastic. Okay. Um you know, it'd be a good question for some of our agronomists, Jason on on the line here and some others. Uh, what yeah. do they think about uh, canola? Yeah. And uh, of course, we've seen lots of we've seen mid-season water logging now on the prairies, and in particular, most yeah. impacts are depression areas in the Red River Valley, particularly because of the poor drainage. So you just don't you don't need very much um, uh, water to have some pooling in those yeah. depression areas, and then with the high organic matter content and the uh, warm soil temperatures, you can easily see that those depression areas end up yielding uh, very extremely poorly. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, now, okay, so before we move on, uh, absolutely want to talk about, of course, <laughs> I'm going to briefly mention, oh, are you getting to the comments, Mario? I'm going to briefly yeah, mention yeah. that, um, of course, what we're getting to with waterlogging, one of the big things where, of course, we're talking about the impact of it, but of course, we're not talking about all the different causes of it. And of course, poor drainage um, and poor soil structure, poor internal drainage, that's going to be a huge driver of the risk of wet feet. So that's that, I mean, that obviously is a consideration. Um, now, I, I do want to talk though about nutrient availability because, I mean, we've sort of, we've talked uh, briefly about, uh, you know, that the nodules can't access, we're, we're shedding roots, these sorts of things. But in a waterlogged soil, we're obviously concerned about uh, nitrogen. So we're not just talking about nutrient uptake, but we're talking about the risk of loss. So um, who wants to start with this gigantic topic that Dave, I, you're right, it could be a 10 part series. But in thinking about waterlogged systems, <laughs> uh, let's, let's talk about nutrient availability. Okay, which nutrient? N. Let's focus on N first. <laughs> okay, focus on the nitrogen. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so what we're we're generally dependent on nitrate, right, as our nutrient of of choice for plants to take up and to take it up in the water. So it needs to be in the water and taken up um, under waterlogged conditions. We can have a few things happen. If we have uh, light textured soils, it can drain and leach out of. So our fertilizer can be gone. Uh, lots of money uh, can be down the drain there. So um, that's one aspect. Another aspect is through uh, denitrification. And that is where we have bacteria in the soil that because of the lack of oxygen, use the nitrate really in place of oxygen. And they can crunch through quite a bit of uh, nitrate nitrogen under high organic matter soil conditions, water logging, and high temperature. Temperature is really, really critical here. Okay, so this um, in-season water logging really can impact that uh, denitrification, particularly under high organic matter, poorly drained soils. Now, how much is lost is a, is a big magic question, okay? I have some tables that estimate uh, uh, amounts of nitrogen loss and fractions lost, and it definitely goes up with organic matter. And when we start getting uh, into in five, six, seven, eight percent, and we, of course, we're going to go higher than that on the prairies, under warm temperature conditions above, above 10 degrees in soil, 
we can be losing significant amounts, 10, 30% of, uh, of nitrogen, uh, nitrate that's in the soil. So managing the form of the nitrogen is really critical here if we can have some amount of predictability of these events, okay? So we can we can do some management to try to get the not have that nitrate present at that time. Right. Now, Dave, for the for the trials that you're for the demonstration plot that you did, was this an actual research plot that you took to yield, or was that just a demo, or was there a version of it somewhere you did take to yield? No, it was just a just a strict demo in a fill okay. area. So um, back where we usually do the diagnostic diagnostic days and so I, I did take a look at the crops and um just uh, a few days ago and uh in those areas um it does like visual you can just see uh, visual differences and so that those waterlogging events stopped right at diagnostic days we didn't continue to waterlog the soils and you can still you can see that there's fewer pods in the soybeans and we're not going to take it to yield or anything but it's just interesting to see those um yield mm -hmm. effects visually and we did the same thing with corn as well. And uh, I don't mm -hmm. see any any difference in the corn, but we flooded during the, you know, when the corn was at VT. So we really didn't expect to see uh, many yield losses, especially when nitrogen was was not limiting in the first place or right. nitrogen loss may, may prob probably wasn't that excessive, what Mario was talking about. But mm -hmm. I'd just like to add what Mario was talking about, you know, nitrogen losses. and. And the other side of the story, of course, that we have to pay attention to is, is root health and the ability of that root to take up nutrients. I think that needs, um, that needs to be discussed as well. And because a healthy root, like um, a lot of people think, and um, I used to think about this years ago, a lot of people think that, you know, nitrogen just flows into the root with the water, but that is not the case. Uh, nitrogen uptake through the root is an active process. And because it's an active process, you need help, healthy roots and you need, you know, an energy source for that uh, uptake to occur. And you need ATP and uh, in anaerobic conditions, that's when root growth is limited because of ATP is, is not being produced in the anaerobic environment. So in an anaerobic environment for every uh, molecule of glucose, you've only got three ATP. And in anaerobic or in an anaerobic environment, only three ATP, and in an aerobic environment, you have thirty-nine ATP in an aerobic environment. So that's why roots suffer, root growth suffers, nutrient uptake suffers, especially um, with the active portion of, of uh, root uptake or nutrient uptake. And so I think that needs to be considered as well, in addition to potential nitrogen losses. So I think, so Peter, stop reading my mind because it's creeping me out. But my follow-up <laughs> question to both of you was, um, and fascinating discussion about the ATP though, because all I can think about is sugar, sugar, sugar. Anyway, it's all energy. Okay, but can I add N then, or should I be adding N to waterlogged crops? That's maybe the should is the real, the real kicker there. Dave, I'll start with you should I add N to then to a waterlogged crop? Let's say soybeans. Let's stick with soybeans for now. We'll talk corn in a little bit. Well, my research program, I just love to, um, to I guess, put down research projects that really address specific, specific examples of scenarios that we see in, uh, in the countryside or um, that occurred because of extreme weather events. And this is one of them. I think we just need to do more research on on um, the effect of nitrogen on um, like rescue type nitrogen effects on plant growth after a waterlogging event because there's quite a lot of research not necessarily in Ontario but but elsewhere in North America that shows that adding nitrogen does alleviate some of that plant stress some of that waterlogging stress and that is true for corn and that is true for soybeans as well so I'm not sure about the research on the wheat side, but if soybeans are stressed because of waterlogging, um, like visual symptoms, you know, of lower nitrogen fixation, just as what Mario was talking about, um, adding fertilizer nitrogen um, 
does show some yield increases again uh, in some small research plots and I, I just think that that's an opportunity maybe that we need to take a little bit closer look at so so mario before i i let you loose on this i i do remember we're probably talking i'm gonna say it was 10 years ago ish we had a really wet summer and the soybeans had no nodules you dig them up and there was nothing and I do know that farmers were putting nitrogen on because they were terrified that that plant was going to run out of N because there was nothing. So I'm, I'm hoping you remember that. And what did we learn? So did, do we, should we be thinking about an N application on waterlogged soybeans? Well, um, in that scenario, the, the nodulation would pick up eventually, but not enough. And it'll be too late in the season so the the soy needs nitrogen from from somewhere and soy is a it's a tremendous um i was going to use some kind of weird phrase in there which i caught myself uh it needs a lot of nitrogen okay <laughs> uh and so um yes in that situation if, if you don't have the nodulation uh you're going to need to provide nitrogen either the nitrogen's residual in the soil but if it's been waterlogged you may not have that nitrate in the soil. Okay, it could be gone. So, and in that situation, addition of fertilizer nitrogen could definitely be advantage, advantageous. Um, and now on the prairies here, and there could be situations with wheat, for example, that in terms of protein content, in terms of uh, an application uh, in season to to get to boost up the the protein levels if there's been um, um, limitation from nitrogen due to to water logging. So you can have situations like that for sure. Uh, sorry, so I just brought in our spring wheat here in, into that situation. <laughs> hey, that's okay. We can talk about them all. It's my show. We can just keep adding them. Uh, I wondered though if Jason remembers that year. And I, I want to say it was maybe it was 2016. I want to say it was maybe 20, yeah, 2015, 2016, somewhere in there. And I scouted a couple fields and we dug up plants and there was nothing. Like no, oh. there were there were roots, but there were no nodules whatsoever. Um, okay, and we have fantastic uh questions of course coming in um well, so th yeah, there's go a ahead, cool thing that they're talking about here in effect about split application like with corn right. for example yeah. with split application and split application is perfectly designed to um prevent issues of that early season water logging okay provide the nitrogen at the point of uh corn demand and get it there without what I call loitering nitrogen. That, that's been nitrogen added with no plant taking it up, okay? So you, you, you remove that loitering time and you put the nitrogen, you know, with a Y drop, for example, but you can, you can dribble it, you can inject, inject it to top or, or, or uh, top dress or, or uh, a side. So um, it, it's designed for that. And so we do have crops. We've tried it with canola as well um, crops like potato are naturally um, used to that and that's the, the prime recommendation for us here uh, for irrigation because there's just too many losses on the, the sand soils early on and so um, mm -hmm. I think as we move forward the split application and then also with the formulations of the nitrogen in terms of our um, ESN type products or nitrification inhibitor products they kind of mimic to some extent that split application which means preventing loitering nitrate when the crop is not uh taking it up so but caution here we're not talking about trying to apply when saturated conditions still exist we're exactly. talking well, yeah okay i just want to make that clear because right. yeah that would be drones we could fly it on but also why would we yeah we um, could fly it on yeah i guess we could we well, that's the that. other thing with, with uh, yeah. is is the trafficking, right, and the damage yeah. that's caused to soil health with the trafficking because of that water logging, particularly if we have to go in and uh, spray and various other things or do a, a rescue operation, right? There's always that's a big problem. Mm -hmm. 
Okay. And also loitering nitrates is my new band name. Okay. We have to quickly <laughs> go to, um, okay. We have, yeah, it's about four minutes. Okay. This next clip is actually from the 2021 diagnostic days. Um, and it's got, uh, Peter Johnson here, but it, it pulls in quite nicely a bit of a different issue with roots. And it actually plays into some of these great comments that are coming in and some of this discussion we're already having about, uh, split applications are coming in later. Uh, so Jay, if we can, let's head to, uh, that corn root clip with Peter Weepeat Johnson. And we're here at Diagnostic Days, Ridgetown Campus, University of Guelph. And I'm talking corn with Ben Rosser, the corn lead. And I'm like a kid in a candy store. There is so much cool stuff that we learned out of this strip-till site that doesn't necessarily have that much to do with strip-till, but by gosh, does it have to do with 2019 corn. So you all know that we've talked lots about, about the plant development with corn and when do the nodal roots form. And so the nodal roots actually start to form right about V1 with the corn crop. So this plant's just about V1, getting close, and we start to see the nodal roots already forming. And it was so much fun this spring because we all planted wet. By the way, everybody planted wet. I planted wet. I hate it. But you know, on May the 8th, it wasn't fit. On June the 8th, it probably was worse, but it was June the 8th, so then it's fit enough. So we plant too wet. And then all you people, all you farmers, are tweeting these wonderful pictures of who cares if it was too wet to plant? Because look at this stand. It's the best, most uniform stand I've ever had. Every seed emerged. Why'd every seed emerge? Because it just kept raining. It didn't matter what you do, the doggone plant emerged. But you smeared that slot. And then you got to start thinking, yeah, it emerged okay, but, but it's just on the seed at that point. And it's all about nodal root development at that particular point in time. So we get those nodal roots starting to form. When does it really become an issue? It becomes an issue at five leaf corn. Because by five leaf corn, then that seed root system, you can see on this plant, the seed root system, it's just about done. It's not going to support a big plant. And all of a sudden, we get into a situation where the plant has to live off those nodal roots. Now think about this. We're forming nodal roots at three quarters of an inch in the ground, right? That's where they form. And we've smeared that slot just, it's just like glass. So the nodal roots, they have to push through that glass. So the, the variability in the cornfield, it doesn't happen at planting. You ought to tweet your pictures about how great that corn stand looks. I don't care. What I want you to tweet is my pictures after that, when we hit that five leaf corn, because now we're seeing all that variability. And you're seeing purple corn because we can't get the roots to grow. But we're seeing lots and lots of yellow corn just as we get into that five leaf stage and beyond because those nodal roots can't get out of that slotted trench. They're struggling to make it out. And then everybody says, well, my corn, it's past five leaf. I'm golden, baby. I am good to go. Ho, ho, ho. Just wait a minute. This corn plant, it doesn't grow only one set of nodal roots. It grows multiple sets of nodal roots, but in particular, four sets below ground. The fifth set is generally about at the soil surface. The ones above ground, they're brace roots. But every time we get another leaf coming out, we're getting another set of nodal roots. So we get this plant, and now all of a sudden we have three sets of nodal roots. Think about that. Every set of nodal roots has to punch through that sidewall that you smeared like crazy, and it has to grow roots in that soil that is really, really not very good shape. So you think, well, gosh, I got knee-high corn. It's all good, right? Knee-high corn, yeah, I planted it tough. Monday, I'm in a field scouting it, knee-high corn planted tough. Five days without rain, the leaves are rolling and turning gray. What? How can that be? Five days without a rain, way too much moisture in the soil, and we have drought stress symptoms. It's exactly what's going on is that next set of nodal roots is struggling to get out there. The nodal roots that are out there are struggling to make any growth, and so Every time we get dry this year, you are going to see that variability show up over and over and over again where you planted tough. 
He needs an Academy right. Award. And did for we that. plant tough this year? There... <laughs> hey, come on now. I'm I'm quite sure I'm going to say that was all in one take. It probably wasn't. All right. Before we get going, of well, course, um, our last shout out to Decisive Farming, to Adama Canada, and of course Ontario Diagnostic Days, uh, brought to you by the partnership of the event organizing committees. We've got them there on your screen. We'll leave it up for a bit. This is an immense undertaking. Um, and we appreciate all the sponsors there. There are four episodes up on realagriculture.com slash Ontario Diagnostic Days. Um, you can find them there. You can find them on YouTube. Um, there's also, I, I'm going to say, well, Byrne can probably correct me how many different uh, stops, let's say, that are in each episode. But there's fantastic learning there. Uh, so head on over to uh, YouTube or to realagriculture.com slash Ontario Diagnostic Days to check it out. All right. Okay. So Kevin out of BC says this clip was us this year to a T. So the point there, of course, um, that we want to, that we want to talk about is that season long impact of potentially less than ideal seeding or planting conditions. So Dr. Dave, I'll start with you. When um, like this year, there were some that the cornfields that went in very late because the calendar was getting late. Maybe not the greatest conditions. Um, what do we see? What can we do later in the season? Well, um, <clears throat> planting date or the date of tillage, any tillage operation, we need to consider soil fitness. And quite often, a lot of growers correlate soil fitness with uh, temperature. Like temperature is part of fitness, but, but of course, the water um, content of the soil um, and the soil being fit for tillage you know, to avoid or to reduce compaction as much as possible will depend on a lot of factors. And one of them is, is soil type. And so it really depends on the soil type of um, like when you should be out in your field. And a lot of growers, of course, they have experience. You know, I've, I've learned every year when I farm my soils and I've learned, you know, not to till my clay soils when it's wet. And so somebody who has farmed sandy soils all their life, will need to learn, you know, if they do acquire a, a clay farm. So it, it just requires a lot of experience, I think, to know when your soils are fit in order to do um, a particular tillage operation. And I'm not sure if that was a, I don't think that was a very good answer, but hey, I tried my best. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it is a very good answer because, and I mean, Pete sort of alludes to it in that video that, you know, uh, if it's early May, we're we're picking and choosing. But if it's June 8th, everything goes. So I get it. We understand that. But, you know, uh, and I think Mark, uh, he noted in 2018, the corn got mucked in and then a micro drought in July just about killed it. So that's the key right there, right? Is that realistically, you know, it might look okay. And if that crop doesn't get stressed, it's going to soldier on. But, you know, even a small stress shows what's below ground. Um, uh, even when you can't see it. So, so Maria, I'll go to you. You wanted to talk about damage to roots. And so when we're talking about something like fighting through compaction, does it actually damage roots as it tries to go through something like a sidewall compaction or does it just restrict growth? It restricts, it restricts that volume uh, of access and what uh, that contact of the root surface to soil. So that contact um, area is really critical. The more contact area, that means the more potential to obtain nutrients from the soil. Okay. And if you, we restrict, because what happens is nutrients in effect, sorry, roots in effect around the root can deplete some of the nutrients right in their immediate, what that they're immediately touching. Right. Okay. And so some of them will acidify and then the, the nutrients come off the soil and then in, they pick it up and they deplete it. Well, they need them to explore more soil to deplete it. And we're just talking here a fraction of a millimeter, okay, uh, in terms of distance away from the root. So they need to keep exploring to find new zones to um, for that, okay? And that's what we're, we're talking about, particularly with phosphorus and micronutrients. But then when we start talking about mobile nutrients such as nitrate, now we need water moving in and 
um, that the roots are being able to pick up because they're healthy and they're transpiring and the whole plant is healthy to transpire. And we start, we can have the nitrate come in then. Well, if, as, as uh, Pete was showing, if they're restricted, uh, there's not a heck of a lot of water moving in. It's not going to move through that glass uh, as well. Okay. And that area, that volume is going to dry out very quickly as well. Mm -hmm. it's not, you're not going to have a movement of water laterally, freely. Okay. And so you have big issues, uh, really big issues. So, so um, another point, and th this is related, and this is a few years ago here, we had lots of moisture for most of the growing season, and then the taps ran out here. And uh, my, the, my, the crops that I was growing, um, like corn in particular and wheat, they suffered. And I was like shocked. I said, well, you know, the, most of the growing season was really good. You know, why all of a sudden now they're petering out with the, the dry conditions? Well, the, the, the roots were right at the surface because they weren't exploring down. It was a clay soil. So they, they weren't exploring down because it was too wet down there. So they were at the surface. And all of a sudden it, that surface dried down and the roots weren't down below. And they hadn't established down there because they, they couldn't. It was too wet down there. And then, frankly, there was no need for them to establish at that time. Right. But then it, it became a little, it was too late for them to be able to get down there. And they, they suffered. Whereas a, another year where we would have good moisture in the spring and then it was uh, fairly dry, well, the roots moved down and explored and they were able to tap as, uh, the water. And as the, as the water... Uh, moisture content uh, went down in the profile, the roots were, were kept reaching for that water. And we had great growing conditions and great yields. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of dynamics there that can play and texture is really important or in, in terms of that uh, seed, um, that seeding area, that seed bed, if you call it, or, or that what we've um, the, the seed area is, is really, really critical there. Compaction's one uh, in terms of the smearing, in terms of our, our planters and seeders, but then also there's hard pans as well from, from compaction that can also play into this. Mm -hmm. Now, I just want to, Dr. Dave, before I let you take it over, I just want to state um, I will always take a drought over too wet, or sorry, I should say too dry over too wet, not saying necessarily a drought. And Mario has explained it beautifully, but that's because mostly I have perennials. So perennials are really good at mitigating drought, uh, not so much annuals. So I apologize to everyone with grain. I understand you might want it more wet than too dry. Um, all right. So so there you go. That's my two cents. Okay. Now, um, Dr. Dave, let's talk a little bit about exactly that point that uh, Dr. Tenuta said with the compaction. Of course, last year, uh, many areas of Ontario just had amazing amounts of rain in a very short amount of time, had to take the crop off, made a bit of a bit of a mess. Are we seeing, did you see, what have you seen this growing season as a result of that? Yeah, we see most of those effects. Um, they're especially evident on headlands. And so we, um, uh, as like this is a huge problem, um, at least uh, in my travels in Ontario, just these visible effects are extremely evident on headlands, but it also occurs throughout the field, especially certain areas or patches throughout the field. And I think we just need to do a better job and scout for those areas and, and to determine what can we do as managers to help reduce um, those compaction areas in the field, whether it be the headland or patches in the field, what is causing those? And I think biologically, it really helps. I know it helps me when I was in grad school. I learned something called the least limiting water range. And I think that concept really applies to uh, a lot of areas in crop production, whether, uh, for example, whether the um, you have too much water or too little water, um, the compaction or the mechanical impedance of the soil depends on um, how, uh, what the moisture content is of the soil as well. Like for instance, if it's very dry out and uh, the root is trying to get through some compacted soil, we call that mechanical impedance. But if 
that soil wets up some, that mechanical impedance should go down. And so it becomes uh, less limiting. And so this least limiting water range is the range of water contents where it poses the least amount of, um, I, I guess, uh, effects on plant growth. And soil aeration um, uh, is, is part of that as well. And uh, so I think that concept is just, it works and fits so well to what Peter was talking about in that video as well, the least limiting water range and how mm -hmm. a dry event, you know, after, you know, weeks and weeks of very saturated conditions, how a dry event can, um, can make the crop go under water stress just because either those roots have, um, are injured or the compaction of the soil is just so great um, with that reduction in water content that the roots just can't go through that compaction. Mm -hmm. Fascinating. I love it. All right. Bottom line, Pete says, uh, Pete's just going to have to host this one of these days. Could you imagine everyone? Okay. Bottom line then, is it root injury, death, and restriction that's the issue? Or is it really a nutrient deficiency such as nitrogen? I'm going <laughs> to wager it's a bit of both. But Mario, what do you think? Which one is it? I'm going to say initially it's the root injury and lack of function. And um, I was going to say in, in longer term, after the alleviation, if you've lost your nitrogen, then you're going to have problems with that. But then now I'm thinking about in some, depending on the crop, that root injury may be uh, difficult to come back from. So, but anyway, I'll, I'll, I'll say early on it's injury and later on it could be the nitrogen. Just, just to throw That's that out. All right, Dave, do you agree, disagree? Yeah, I agree. I think that you can have a soil that's high in nitrogen and still have a plant that undergoes nitrogen deficiency because the roots are injured. Roots are injured because they're waterlogged. And as I mentioned before, nitrogen uptake is an active process at the root soil interface. And so if something goes wrong with that active process, you know, it needs energy. And that energy is cannot be uh, manufactured or produced by the plant through respiration, then um, that plant can go into nitrogen deficiency. Mm -hmm. Energy, energy, energy. That's that's what we're going with. All right, we are out of time. Yeah, um, right. Mario goes so fast. Um, but I do want to quickly put a plug in for this, Mario, because of course you've done fantastic work in Manitoba with soybean cyst nematode. Should agronomists and farmers be out there testing their soybean fields right now for soybean cyst, soybean cyst nematode? Uh, yes. So uh, it's a good time as you're as you're doing your uh, residual nitrate test, because we do have a nitrate test, fall nitrate test here on the prairies. Uh, it is a good time to uh, sample soil from the top uh, six to eight inches and um, uh, submit it for a lab analysis. Uh, if you have um, you believe you have um, uh, problems. So if you have patchy areas of chlorotic dwarfing soybean uh, that you just are scratching your head what's happening. Now chances are they pro you probably didn't see that this year. But last year, for example, we, we did have a field that had uh, moderate levels of soybean cyst nematode in Manitoba. So it was actually impacting yield and because, of, mm. because of that drought condition. So um, but the problem is in the good years, uh, those levels are building and building up. And at some point they're going to impact even in the years with decent moisture, you're going to have yield losses then. So it is good. If you've had, uh, I would say if you had more than five soybean years on that field, um, uh, do consider SCN testing. We, I'll put a plug in for hopefully a project for next year that we're working with the, with the pulse growers and soy growers to continue uh, another round of surveying fields in Manitoba. So best way to get a free sample analysis is to join our project. There you go. Look at that. I didn't even know you needed to put a plug in, but there you go. You're welcome. <laughs> All right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And of course, um, yes, take the test, beat the pest. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Albert. Yes. All right. Uh, gents, I do appreciate this so much. Of course, this was a fantastic uh, 
a bit of a snippet and expansion on Ontario Diagnostic Days. So uh, tune in. So we will have a special, another special Ontario Diagnostic Days episode, October 31st. Wear your <laughs> scariest costume, please, in the comments. Mario's already there. Um, but yes, that'll be in two weeks. Join us again. But a big shout out, of course, to Ontario Diagnostic Days and all the partners that made that happen. Thank you, Dr. Dave, Dr. Mario. Thank you so much for being here. I appreciate it. Uh, and thank you to everyone in the comments. Thank you to Decisive Farming and to Adama Canada. Head on over to realagriculture.com slash agronomist to get those CU credits. And we'll see you next Monday, 8 p.m. Eastern. Cheers, everybody. Take care. Thanks a lot. Good night.